You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now turn in our Bibles to the first letter of John. I want to read together 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the son, His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. A portion of scripture that we'll be paying specific attention to this afternoon is 1 John chapter 1, the verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, a Christian can become quite uncertain of his convictions, of her beliefs. You see, not everybody sees things the way you do. Indeed, most people see things differently. There are many religions... And even within Christianity, there are many differences of opinion. Some believe children are to be baptized. Others believe baptism is only for those with an active faith. Some say Jesus Christ was a very good man. Others claim he is also God. One Christian alleges that Christ has truly risen from the dead. Another holds that this is metaphorical language for Jesus arising in your heart. And when you hear those kinds of things, it it can be quite confusing, upsetting. You may wonder, is what I believe the truth? Is it the right faith? What should I believe? Now, differences of opinion have always existed. When saying farewell to the elders of Ephesus, Paul tells them, even from your own number... Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. He was right. For in the second half of the first century, people began having doubts about the divinity and humanity of Jesus. You see, the Greek worldview and the Christian worldview, they clashed. This became an issue also in and around the city of Ephesus. There were people who alleged that Jesus Christ had never really been a human being. He'd only looked like a human being. And others began to claim that there were in fact two persons. There's Jesus, the human being, and there's Christ, the divine being. And these sorts of teachings began to confuse the Christians. Now during this period, the Apostle John lived in Ephesus. And so he wrote a letter for the churches in the region to give clarity. That's the background, for example, to 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is a true human being, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus as come in the flesh is not from God. Okay, but who is to say that John is right? Why should the Christians of the first century believe John and not someone else? How can you tell when there is a doctrinal dispute, a difference in teaching? How can you tell who is right and who is wrong? Well, the scripture passage that has our attention this afternoon has the answer. John begins this very general letter arguing in favor of the trustworthiness of the apostolic testimony. John is saying, dear Christians... You are to believe that which the apostles told you. And since the Bible contains the account of what the apostles taught, 
Same applies to us in the 21st century today. We are to believe what the Bible teaches. And so we listen to God's Word with the theme, the church is to be faithful to the apostolic testimony. There's five reasons for this. First of all, it's in agreement with the ancient truth. Secondly, it's based on real life experience. Thirdly, it's proclaimed with authority. Fourthly, it has as immediate goal fellowship of love. And fifthly, it has as ultimate goal complete joy. That opening line of John's letter, that which was from the beginning, that has a familiar ring to it, doesn't it? John is here actually hinting at the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boys and girls, that that means that before the world existed, God existed. You might say God is the very oldest thing of everything that exists. Somewhere in the Bible, he's actually referred to as the Ancient of Days. And in Psalm 90, we hear Moses sing, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world... From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, something else was in the beginning as well. Wisdom. We hear Lady Wisdom say in Proverbs 8, The Lord brought me forth as the first of His works before His deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. Wisdom. That's a reference to knowledge, to prudence, to insight. Wisdom was from the beginning. Wisdom is the prime possession of God. And then there's another text speaking of what was in the beginning. It's actually a text also written by the Apostle John. It's the first words of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. In the beginning. The word of God is a reference to the Son of God, to Jesus the Christ. He's God's word because he is the message of God in person. The message that already existed before the world existed. So, in the beginning God created. God appointed wisdom from the beginning. And in the beginning was the word. That's three times. In the beginning. If anyone knows what the truth is, which faith is correct, it would have to be God. He's always been there. Even before the start, He was there. He appointed wisdom. The Word, the message was with Him. Indeed, it was God Himself. In the book of Job, we find a wonderful poem on the search of man for true wisdom. The question asked is, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? And then the response is, God understands the way to it. And He alone knows where it dwells. When He made everything, He looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. It's more than clear. If you want to know what the truth is, ask God. So does God answer? Oh yes, He does. 
The poem in Job ends with this line, And God said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Respect and awe for God and fleeing from evil. Those are matters of life and death. Evil brings death. A relationship with God brings life. So the truth may be described as the message that brings life. The word of God is, I am the resurrection and the life. Those are the words of Jesus the Christ. Wisdom, truth, is the message of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. That's also why John says the apostles proclaim the word of life. It's the word of life, the word that was in the beginning. The word that articulates the wisdom of God created as the first of His works. That which was at the very, very, very beginning. That is what the apostles have been telling the world. That which was from the beginning, we proclaim to you, writes John. So brothers and sisters, John claims that what the apostles proclaim is in complete agreement with the ancient truth. Their message, he says, is identical to the truth God knows and has proclaimed. The word of the apostles has to be God's word of life. And that's why the church is to be faithful to the apostolic testimony. It is the oldest truth itself. It is ancient. It is God's truth. And yet there can be doubt. Many people are going to claim this. A reformed minister will. Mennonite bishop will too. Roman Catholic priest. A Muslim imam. A Sikh. Did the apostles have a good understanding of reality? Surely a person cannot be God and and, and human at the same time, John. And, And surely Jesus did not really resurrect to a new life. I mean, have you ever seen somebody come to life? Isn't what John is telling his understanding of reality? Who's to say he's right? Why can we not all have our own take on reality? Well, John has more to say. The testimony of the apostles is based on real life experience. Says John, the testimony which we have heard It's as if John is saying, brothers and sisters, we didn't make this up ourselves. We heard it from somewhere. The Apostle Peter writes something similar. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel hasn't been sucked out of somebody's thumb. The apostles received it. Yes, says John, which we have seen with our eyes. John wants to give it extra emphasis. We didn't just hear it. We saw it. You know, it's it's one thing to learn from your teacher at school that the moon whizzes around the earth and that the earth whizzes around the sun. It'd be something else if an astronaut were standing there and telling you that. Having heard of an event, that's one. Having seen it makes you a witness. But John isn't done yet. He takes it a step further yet, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. There's a difference between seeing something and looking at something. Imagine you're driving as a family in a mountain somewhere, and somebody yells out, Did you see that moose there back in the forest? All being well, the driver will say no. 
He's not seeing any moose in the back of the forest because he's looking at the traffic in front of him. Look at, study. And the touch to which John refers, which our hands have touched, that's not just brushing by somebody and accidentally touching them in a crowd. No, no, John has touched Jesus with his very own hands to see if he was just a spirit or whether he was a true man of flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is no figment of the imagination. It's not a conspiracy of some apostles to invent a new religion. The way Islam, Sikhism, and Mormonism were born. The apostles, they came across something, they took their time to study it, and what they proclaim has been proclaimed to them. Indeed, it was told them by God Himself. The life appeared, that's a reference to the Christ, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I hope you can kind of sense the frustration in these words as well. The apostles haven't been telling any old story. They bring the message which God, the source of all truth, had told them personally. There's a Dutch theologian of international fame who would have us believe that everything that's spoken about above has been dreamed up, thought up by below. But it's actually the other way around. Everything that is told about, that is told below has been personally communicated from above. Indeed, the apostle John was one of those present on the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard the voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Well, that's exactly what John did. And that's why the church has to be faithful to the apostolic testimony. And not blow about with every wind of doctrine. Mani, Mohammed, Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, Mary Baker Eddy. They were dreamers that, that indeed created cleverly contrived myths. Manichaeism, Islam. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology. Those are contrived religions. They're made up. Christianity that is true to the apostolic testimony is of a different order. It's original. It's been since the beginning. And it's real. It wasn't just made up. It was heard. It was seen. It was looked at. It was touched. Manhandled, you might translate. Now there's a third reason yet too why the church is to be faithful to this testimony. That's because it's proclaimed with real authority. The apostles testify to and proclaim eternal life. Those are two key words. Testify and proclaim. False teachers did not know Jesus the way the apostles did. The apostles had lived with Jesus for several years. They'd watched him. They'd listened to him. Indeed, they asked him all sorts of questions when they weren't sure whether they understood what they had heard. Not only before his death, also after his resurrection. One of them, given the opportunity to touch the risen Lord, had even said, My Lord and my God. See, the apostles weren't theologians that sit behind their desk and then try to think of something interesting to say the next Sunday. No, the testimony of the apostles is solid. It rings true. They testify to what they saw. And then the second key word is proclaim. 
proclaim concerning is what many translations will have. It's perfectly legitimate. But you can also translate proclaim on behalf of. The apostles are, as the Greek word indicates, apostello. They're those sent out. Paul writes somewhere, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. When an apostle spoke on behalf of God, it is God who speaks. The same applies in the church today. Those called to proclaim God's word must be able to say and must dare to say, God has instructed me to bring you this message. A church that doesn't dare to say, this is what the Lord says, should keep its mouth shut. And the people in and around Ephesus had to be faithful to the testimony of the apostles. Not to the fables of, of those who couldn't wrap their minds around the two natures of Christ and then try to figure it out for themselves, changing the gospel as they went. And the same applies to us today, brothers and sisters. Pay close attention to what the apostles have taught. Don't listen to theologians that can't accept the two natures of Christ or consider Scripture just a collection of wise religious thoughts and you may do with it as you please. The truth exists. It always has. Truth is to be found with God. He founded wisdom. The Word was with God. God made His Word known through the prophets and apostles. It became personal in the Son. Prophets have spoken, moved by God's Spirit. Apostles spoke, given what they had heard, seen, observed, and intentionally touched. They were led by the Spirit in all the truth. The mandate the Lord Jesus gave to His disciples, His students, was teach all nations to observe everything I have commanded you. Everything. That's a key word. When saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, Paul tells them, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. The whole will. All of it. The apostles have passed on the only truth to the church and all of it. Scripture contains all we need to know unto salvation and ultimately God's glory. A liturgical form for infant baptism refers to this as the true and complete doctrine of salvation. You don't need to add anything For example, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is without sin. Nor may any point of what Scripture teaches be considered doubtful. For example, that the Son of God became a human being of flesh and blood. May there then be differences of opinion about the truth? No. There is only one truth. That truth is to be found with God. And He has entrusted this truth to the church. So what should we be doing when we become uncertain of our faith, when we hear things we're not so sure about? Open our Bibles. Read the testimony of the prophets and apostles. Then we shall know the truth and no longer doubt. Indeed, the church is to be faithful to the testimony of the apostles. Mind you, that doesn't change the fact that differences of opinion about the truth exists. Even among Bible-believing Christians. Differences of opinion ranging from topics such as the existence of God and vicarious satisfaction to the mode of the celebration of the Lord's Supper and how you should dress for church. 
Doesn't the conviction that there is but one truth and Scripture will indicate what the truth is lead to disagreement, to strife? And shouldn't the church all be, be all about love and fellowship? Do we really want to get into this? Well, loves, John has something to say about that too. That in the fourth place. The apostolic testimony has as its immediate goal a fellowship of love. Our scripture reading was 1 John chapter 4. That's a scripture passage that contains those well-known words, God is love. And because God is love, we are to love, to love God and to love one another. This chapter also contains the following well-known words. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. John obviously did not consider the two to be a dilemma. Discerning between truth and falsehood and forming a fellowship of love wasn't a contradiction in his terms. Now, true love and true doctrine, they will fit together like hand in glove. Indeed, the very purpose of contending for the truth is the formation of a fellowship, of a communion of love. The apostles have proclaimed, writes John, so that you also may have fellowship with us. There's unity in faith. Fellowship with the apostles brings with it fellowship with the Lord. For, John writes, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with the Father and the Son. That implies reconciliation. Man has a relationship with God. There is life, or there is a bond with the source of life. The apostolic testimony has as its goal the fellowship of God and men. And please note, that's exclusive. Only the apostolic testimony is able to grant you life, fellowship with God. For Christ alone is the way to God. The testimony of the Apostle John regarding Christ was that he said, we read it in his Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If someone sets the apostolic testimony aside in order to create their own religion, he or she has lost the fellowship with God. Then there is no reconciliation with God. That's why the Apostle Paul, for example, can come on so strong. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let it be eternally condemned. Yes, the Lord Jesus has warned His followers that there will be people who think they are serving God and His Christ, but Christ does not know them. And even if they knock on the door and cry, Lord, Lord, open the door, they will find themselves in outer darkness where they will cry and gnash their teeth. That's also why John's letter to the saints in and around Ephesus closes with those remarkable words, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You can paraphrase that as follows. Dear, dear people, watch out for false teaching. The price you pay is eternal life. In short, only the testimony of the apostles will point the way to fellowship with God. And fellowship with God flows out of fellowship with the faith of the apostles. You can only dine with the Lord Jesus, as you did this morning here, if you dine with the apostles. You can only be part of the church if you believe the proclamation of the church. Now that means several things. 
among which a church that has no fixed proclamation cannot be a proper church. For then it's unwilling to hold the tradition of the apostles. The truth doesn't change. The apostles proclaim what has been since the beginning. And that's the truth the church must maintain. And if a religious community is unwilling to do so, that community doesn't have the right to call itself a church. And children of God don't belong there. Turn it around. If a religious community does maintain the apostolic truth, it is the church. And that's why we will seek unity with those who in word and deed are faithful to the apostolic testimony. And that's why we refuse to do so with those who are not faithful in word and deed. Another consequence. You can only be part of the church if you believe the proclamation of the church. Well, that's why instruction in the teachings of Scripture will feature strongly in Christian churches. In our own churches, we can think of catechetical instruction. Catechism classes for the youth, for newcomers to the faith. The doctrinal services usually held in the afternoon. You see, the church must be very clear about what it teaches. Only that way can church members answer the question, ask the public profession of faith, do you wholeheartedly believe the doctrine of the Word of God summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church? Indeed, to make sure that the church remains faithful to the apostolic testimony, the office bearers are even asked to sign a document saying that they will be loyal to the doctrinal standards of the church. And that's not because those documents happen to be the doctrinal standards of the church. There's a chain of thought here. We hold to what the church teaches because we're convinced that what the church teaches is what Scripture teaches. It's what the prophets and apostles taught. It's what God teaches. Now I can imagine you asking yourself, but what about tolerance? All sounds so harsh and so strict. And it's true. It can become that. Just look at the Pharisees. Christ spent much of his earthly ministry warning against that Pharisaical attitude. They strain out mosquitoes and they swallow camels, he said. But that shouldn't blind us to a danger on the, on the other side. An illustration to make it clear. Imagine a married couple. They live in the same house. But husband and wife allow each other to have relationships with third parties. Now, is that love and loyalty as God intended it? Or a couple that has a common law relationship? Or a living away together relationship? Is that fellowship as God intended it? No. That's not love. That's self-centeredness. That's egoism. And many religious communities that consider themselves Christian relate to God in exactly that way. There's a bit of the apostolic testimony, and then there's a bit of something else. That's the way Islam was born, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Scientology. And that's what causes the demise of many churches today. There is only one God. There is only one truth. There is only one faith. And hence, the church is to be one. You can't have tension between fellowship and doctrine, between love and truth. Truth leads to fellowship. And that brings, ultimately, 
complete joy. Yes, the apostles were very uncomfortable about people that listened to them and yet refused to share their faith. For their faith is just amazing. It's the ancient truth which they've experienced and now as instructed by God, proclaimed to the whole world. When a child is born, the grandparents are phoned, even if they're in bed. Well, the apostles had even greater news. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. God has rescued mankind. Not by works, but by grace. Have faith in this message. Believe the word. Life is possible thanks to God's grace. The apostles were overjoyed. When the Lord ascended into heaven, they weren't sad. Oh, Jesus is gone. No, they were extremely happy, Luke tells us. And Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy? Happy with the church? In the church? This church? Our churches? I know. We're not there yet. John realized that full well when he wrote this letter. Tears would have been welling up in his eyes as he realized how people were contradicting the apostles, were, were twisting God's truth. Like office bearers will sigh when they realize that church members are being led astray by uncertain philosophies, psychological takes on religion or mysticism. Ministers groan inwardly when they discover how categorical instruction is being undermined by fables their students hear elsewhere. Don't be misled by false doctrine. Test the spirits to see whether they come from God. We're talking of the sound doctrine. Entrusted by God to the apostles and thus to the church. Treasure God's teachings in your hearts. Confess them with your mouths as individuals and as church community. God's word must have the central place. And if you believe that word, then you do experience unspeakable joy. Sure. Teachings of Scripture are sometimes hard to wrap your minds around. No one can explain the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. John couldn't either. But he knew it was true. The Son of God became a man of flesh and blood to save lost sinners. Believe and you will feel safe and secure. Experience contentment and joy. Yes, the church is to be faithful to the apostolic testimony, to the Bible. You know, it's awesome. God has taken care of everything. He gives the truth. He gave the Christ. He gave the apostles. He gave the Bible. He gives the church. You know, no one can blame God for someone going astray, for being insecure and uncertain. So have faith in God. It will give you fellowship and joy. Just as John puts it, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.